Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. This is your hostess, Nicole DeVincentis, a.k.a. Figure Chick 911. So a lot has happened, I think, in the past couple days since I recorded the last podcast. One thing of which, if you're one of our, <laughs> our loyal followers, first of all, thank you. I, the last podcast, it was actually 58 minutes on Know Your Players. And up to this point, you know, you learn every single day. And I was recording all the podcasts on my cell phone. Why? Because you can. It's mobile. I prefer to do all of my speaking. I don't do well when I sit down and speak. I do much better if I can stand up and walk around and get some energy about me. When I'm talking about, you know, power things like know your players, like all the organizational leadership things, you know, like the infrastructure of business development and, and staff development and things like that. Well, this is what happened. I didn't realize this. People, um, the, the good thing is that business is starting to pick up, and so there's more communications coming my way, um, some of which are phone calls, which I knew interrupted the podcast recording, but the other thing that I learned was that text messages actually do the same. And so I went through and I you know, did that whole entire thing. I go back and by the time it got uploaded, like it, it looked like it clicked off at like the 58 minute mark. And then when I went to, you know, you add your title and do all these little, you know, details for it to get it ready for you guys to listen. And then all of a sudden it said seven minutes. And I thought, well, maybe it just didn't finish uploading or something like that. And it was a good one. Like it had great stuff in there. I was like, ah, oh, of all the podcasts for this not to work, it has to be on this one. And that's what happened. I couldn't figure out like, why, why was it only seven minutes long? Like, what is this? And it was actually because I had received some text messages and that interrupted. I wasn't responding to them, but apparently that interfered with whatever signal or whatever workings of the phone. So I apologize. We'll have to go back and revisit that one. So that's my little clearing exercise before we get on to the, today's topic. So clearing exercise, you know, me, myself, if, if you're new to this podcast, this is a little bit more of an informal setting, I believe. Um, my name is Nicole DiMincennis and I work as a life coach. Um, I've been doing muscular development coaching and I've been building out my business to develop people both on the personal and professional front. And um, I come actually from a healthcare background, so the, everything in the tech world is actually quite <laughs> new to me. And uh, sometimes these podcasts, they're not random. I actually come up with ideas while I'm working out, but the content as it starts coming out of my mouth sometimes changes because I don't ever speak off of a script. I've never been a script public speaker. I've never been like, aside from the times when I was in like little maybe plays or if I was like taking drama class and I had to like remember lines, I've never been a script person before. I've always been adapt to the city, like come in with content, come in with, you know, points that you want to say, know your material, but make sure that you adapt and, and cater it to whoever your audience or the group of individuals with whom you're, you're interacting with is or are so that it stays current and relevant. And I, oh my gosh, so much has changed over the past 24 hours. It's been awesome and enlightening and 
that's that. So th there's this exercise, getting back to the point at hand, called clearing. And anytime I coach an individual on a one-to-one, like one-on-one, -on -one, like individual basis, which is how most of my coaching actually takes place. I do some seminar, we'll do some group coaching within an organization, but most of my stuff is usually with either like a head of household, you know, the leader of an organization, the boss, the, the entrepreneur, the CEO, that person, the decision maker. And what I found is that, you know, life happens and sometimes there's frustrating things that happen and it actually interferes with an individual's ability to be fully present. Like present, like mentally, like, you know, when you're talking with somebody and they just seem like they're in a different place. All right. That's not present. But when you're talking with somebody like they, you can tell they're there, right? Like like somebody's inside there. So this is an exercise and you can, you know, take this away and, and bring this into your relationships, bring this into your workplace or whatever. It's an exercise called clearing. And what that means is giving people, if you have to have like a great conversation or a really important meeting or something like that, as you're grooming your people, you give them brief and brief has to be like, is there anything that you need to get out of the way? or off your, maybe not off your chest, that lends them into like a 30 minute drama monologue. So is there anything that you need to clear in order for us to be able to have an effective session today? That's usually how I bring it up. And then if this is the first time that the individual has ever heard that, they'll usually say, what do you mean by that? And I say, I'd like for you to be fully present. Is there anything that you need to, you know, bring up before we can do that? And if there is, they will say it. Yeah, this mf -er cut me off in traffic or, oh my God, my girlfriend just blah, 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 blah. And now she blah, blah, blah. Like, and they just need to get that out because it, it's, it's like something that will be seething and simmering underneath, underneath the surface. And you're never going to be able to make an impact or actually have a ready or coachable or teachable listener if they have that thing which is running background. Okay, now as you work with people, and this is usually the expectation with my individuals, you know, depending on who it is, is more times than not, we groom the expectation is for you to clear before we begin our coaching session. So what you'll usually find is that if you're ever working with the people that I've coached, whether this is like muscular development or this is life coaching or, you know, organizational leadership is that I, I call everybody my athletes. My athletes are always ready. Like they show up ready. Like they don't get on scene and then now they got to get ready and now they got to do this. And then it's like, you know, 45 minutes of everybody's wasted time. Like my people are ready to go from the get and they, they, they develop, they um, integrate this concept in this methodology called clearing and it actually it frees them up it gets them present immediately so whenever they're entering a meeting whenever they're entering conversation wherever they are they know how to do it it becomes part of you know they're just normal like operations and you know a lot of time is saved and everything becomes more effective and streamlined so that was me clearing in the beginning all right, so let's move on to today's topic. All right, I got a good one for you again. This one is, I think we should categorize this one as like how to be fearless. How does that sound? All right, I was thinking about, 
I, you know, I had a, a fantastic conversation this morning with one of my dearest friends, and we were just talking about differences in people and women, not about them, but about, I guess you could say like what makes people do, or how people are just, they are just run different or, or wired differently. And how me, myself, I'm more the <laughs> rip the band-aid off type of person, like go in there full throttle and <laughs> maybe get my ass kicked. <laughs> but it's always 100% from the get. Whereas she's more of a sit back and watch other people do it a few times before going in there herself. And I was thinking, you know, through this conversation, like when, when was the last time? I'm sure I haven't always been like this. So how did I get to this point? And I'm always trying to find new and different ways to be able to connect with people. And I, because uh, here's what this is. So hear this in the proper terms is that I want to be able to impact more people's lives. That's where this is honestly coming from. And I, I know that I have a lot of gifts and I know that a lot of people see me in different ways. And what I've gotten back in feedback is you are freaking intimidating. And for me, like I just don't get it because I live with myself every day and you know, I look at the people whom I look up to, you know, professional whomevers, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to get to the point where they are. And I never look, I don't want to say behind me, but I guess behind me and to other people who are looking up towards me and realize that there's other people who, who have that same, like, oh my God, I'm never going to get where she is. Like, it's almost unfathomable to me because I don't feel like I've like really gone anywhere <laughs> like I just, you know it's like another day go out there and carpe your damn diem and so <laughs> I think everybody's like that like you just you are with yourself all the time and you just don't realize either how much progress you have made because you're you <laughs> you know what I'm saying and so I honest to god I, I really I've been doing a boatload of thinking on so many different fronts. And so if we could talk about how to be fearless, all right? And it's not that I'm fearless. I believe that fearlessness, what you're actually watching is courage, all right? Because I think, I think everybody has fear. In fact, I know everybody has fear. It's just whether or not you are allowing yourself either to be vulnerable to show it or perhaps just like your gauge of what is deservant of either you backing down or cowering down or not doing something like everybody is is at a different place on that continuum. And what I know without a shadow of a doubt is that every person has within them moments of courage where, I mean, just use the example of a mom with her children. And if that child is moving into a dangerous environment, like that mom suddenly has superhuman strength or superhuman mental strength even to, you know, flock up kind of like a, a mama bird and, and go after anybody who, who threatens the safety of her children. Do you know what I'm saying? And doesn't always think about the situation, just like immediately moves into action. And so I, I was thinking like, well, is fearlessness or courage, is it nature versus nurture? 
right? And we could go around and round and round and round and round with that discussion. And I, it's both. You know, I think there's people who are wired differently from the get. There's people who, I mean, if you think about young boys, my cousin Marky, he was one of them. He was one of those kids. He he wasn't mean at all. He's just like a rough uh, adventure seeker type of a kid. Like he's really like big time athlete and he always got hurt and he was always always going and he wasn't a not because he was a skinny boy like he was like dick the bruiser from a very young age that he was he had to go to the doctor all the time because he was always banging into stuff always you know tackling people and always like that's how Marky was I remember my aunt was just like god I'm afraid they're gonna call you know the service department on me because I'm always here with this kid he's always hurt all the time and there's you know there's kids who are like that they just seem to have no fear Right when you when normal kids once they've learned and once they have things like depth perception and they have fallen down or smashed their heads a few times like they start to learn you know along with the grooming of their parents or their caretakers like you can't do that you're gonna fall or you're gonna hurt yourself like they start to to develop that but then there's people who just don't seem to to maintain that element of fear and I don't know if it comes back to how you're wired for self sufficiency. Or if it's just, you know, I don't think it's 100% pure ego. I think it just, it has to do with the difference in your perception. And if it's all right, I I think for me, I know that I was born different. (laughs) What I I mean by that is that my, my mom and my dad both always told me that I hit developmental milestones super early in my life. And my mom told me, that you know when you feed a baby and after like a very short period of time like they kind of like put their hands up to the bottle like that's just like the normal path of progression for them and my mom told me that I pushed her hands away and I want to say did she tell me I did that at three months old like whatever it was it was like ridiculously early it wasn't putting hands on the bottle to hold it like you see kids do it was pushing her hands away so that I could hold the bottle by myself and she I was even her first kid and she was just she said that she cried because it was already me trying to like wean myself off the proverbial boob I'm adopted so there was no boob it was a bottle but um that's when it started and I started walking walking I believe by the time I was nine months old I was already walking I had already pulled myself up I believe by the time I was five or six months old standing in my crib one morning and then walking by nine months by the time I was two I I had like full-blown conversations with grammatically perfect sentences by the time I was two, like discussing ideas with adults. And so (laughs) you can see why, and I mentioned one of the earlier podcasts, at some point, like my teachers saw that I was a little bit more on the advanced side and they wanted to push me forward in my grades, but my mom wanted to keep me age appropriate socially. And so she didn't let that happen. So it's always been this really interesting dichotomy where the school was never really a challenge for me. And I, I mentioned this again, and this is going to tie into the nature portion of fearlessness, but I think more specifically courage is that 
the issue with me with school was that I always took a full like load of classes. I never took study hall. Like I always took full load of everything and just, I liked school. I liked learning a lot. And um, I wanted to learn as many different things as I possibly could. The challenge with school was that I was so busy at home and we had, you know, we had just a, a number of different things. And by no means was our childhood like the absolute worst. I mean, we, we, none of us, you know, we didn't get beat up and we didn't deal with things like alcoholism or drugs inside the house. So it wasn't that. It was that my stepdad, he had cancer. And again, if you've heard this story, just bear with me for one quick second. I appreciate your patience. Is that when you live in a household with somebody who has chronic illness, and it may be different nowadays, but then it was... My stepdad was a, a laborer. He was a foreman for a construction company. And at the time, we didn't have what we have now, which is all year round, day and nighttime construction. It was literally Monday through part of Saturday, only during nice weather and um, daytime hours only. And so he was sick and he would be in the hospital for months on end and you know he'd be getting chemo and he'd be sick and all this stuff well he so he eventually got laid off right because it's like super expensive to insure he's missing work and blah 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 so anyway we open up three businesses at home now my mom was a stay-at-home mom and that was the goal and that was kind of like the tradition in our family we come from a traditional heritage of italians and we're not you know in any way like we're not i wouldn't consider us to be grease balls you know we're not like straight out of the sopranos or anything like that but we uphold a lot of the the cultural traditions where the the woman stays at home she doesn't go to school beyond high school blah 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 so we got these three businesses. So we've got my mom is an Avon lady for our entire town and some of the collar towns as well. She developed teams of ladies who worked at different businesses and then those ladies sold inside of the different businesses for my mom. So she had teams. And then we had an in-home daycare center with I think at one time we had eight kids. Just even imagine what this was like. Eight kids under the age and I don't remember if they went up to age five or age three. But either way, it doesn't matter. It's eight kids, seriously, like up to the age five. Let's, let's go on the far end there. What that was like, plus newborn babies and um, just like the diaper changing and the feeding and the crying and blah, blah, blah. And then when my dad, or my stepdad, you know, was feeling a little bit better, but he still was not at work, he opened up a landscaping and snow removal company that he and my brother Carl worked and Carl worked there full-time in the summertime, and then in the wintertime, um, obviously they, the plow guys go out at nighttime and plow, so Carl would usually be working all night and then wouldn't go to school in the morning because he was, at that time, he actually became one of the primary breadwinners for our home um, because my stepdad was too sick to actually shovel the snow, so my stepdad would drive the truck and plow, and sometimes Carl would even do that, and then Carl was out shoveling like the sidewalks of businesses and, and people's houses and things like that. So it was a different sort of dimension in our household. And this is going to tie into nature versus nurture is that even though I liked school, the thing that made school hard was the fact that we had immense family responsibilities. And even though we had those three businesses going, we never, ever 
got ahead. Like we were always playing the game of catch up and barely making ends meet. And I know now looking retrospectively that a lot of that had to do with our money mindset. We didn't have like proper financial literacy training and we didn't have right money education. And we also were very much involved in our church and just, I think, received the message improperly about money and the way that the teaching came out towards, at least towards us as kids, was, well, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And so you, you end up kind of growing up almost like fearing money, if you would, and, and that's a topic for a different day. But it, it just, it, it causes these weird skews in your life. And then one day you just kind of like, you turn into this adult and you realize like something is wrong with this model and, and you work to, to get either proper education or training so that you can have course correction and then change the trajectory of your family. So that was, you know, that was a long story about, you know, what has happened for me over the, pro- uh, the past several years years but there was a point when I was growing up because I I think that even though I was highly developed in a lot of areas there were places where I was timid but I'm not sure if I was timid naturally or if I was timid out of fear of getting in trouble because well my family is Italian and when they yell like their normal day-to-day volume is loud anyway but yelling is like it shakes the walls And so I'm not sure, I can't honestly answer that, but I remember there was one point in time, (laughs) oh my God, one time this, maybe this is what did it, I don't know. My cousin Rochelle and I, we were at Sears with our grandparents and it was two levels and we thought it would be fun to run up the down escalator. And my grandpa, my papa, he was like five feet tall, maybe like a hundred and 18 pounds soaking wet, but that man, oh boy, did we get in trouble. Woo! <laughs> and so you just kind of like, you're afraid to even move after that because you don't want Papa to lose his shit while you're out anywhere because it's so embarrassing when the whole entire mall looks at you because you're getting yelled at. But anyway, on a serious note, like maybe what had changed for me, I was trying to think of like, why, why am I quote unquote fearless? Why do I commit so heavily up front? Why do I not have a lot of lag time? And I, I'm, I know that this has just been conditioned, this aspect of it, because really there was a lot of, procra- I don't know. I was like procrastinated a lot in school writing papers, but I think it was just because I didn't want to do it. Anything, I don't know, triage yourself. Anything that you've really wanted to do, did you hesitate before you did it? I don't know. I've kind of been operating this way for so long, like I forget where it started, but I know that there was one moment in time for sure that I remember that it was it was a defining moment where I learned how to be courageous. And that was, it, this had to do with my stepdad. And there was one night where, and this was like the beginning of cancer care. So, you know, how things operate now have come just like worlds forward from where we started out with him. But he had gone through chemotherapy and then um, as a result of the chemo, it ruined your immune system. And during usually like the two weeks following chemo uh, is really a vulnerable time for those patients because it zaps out their immunity. So if they get exposed to a cold or a virus or 
anything that could, you know, give you like a mild irritation, like they have no immunity to fight it and they can actually die from it. And I think that's what happened. And um, I was a Girl Scout. I went away on an uh, overnight camping trip with the Girl Scouts. And while I was gone, what happened was he had damn near like a febrile seizure, I think. He spiked a really high fever, my stepdad. And I didn't learn about this until I came home the next day. And um, they had to call the ambulance. I think that's why he had a febrile seizure. So they called the ambulance, which was in those days, like you never called 911 or the ambulance until unless you were like legitimately dying, like legit. So that never was even on the radar to call for half of the reasons why people use it as a taxi service today. But I, you know, he goes to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. They, they find out that he's okay or whatever they do for him. And then they discharged him. He comes back home and then my mom comes to pick me up from this overnight thing and she tells me what had happened. So that night we are all home and it was me and obviously my mom, my stepdad, my older brother, and then my two younger siblings, um, Carl and Jamie. And it happened again. I, he didn't have a febrile seizure. He just spiked a super high fever and it, like his teeth were chattering and he was, you know, kind of shaking how if you have like chills real bad when you have a fever and it was nighttime and it was dark and I already felt bad that I wasn't there. And I think I was like eight years old when this happened. I like got, we still lived in our first house. So I, I had to have been very, very young. And, um, I, so I already felt bad. And then I remember hearing him scream. He called my mom, which he never did. And so we go running in there and then, you know, there he was like, you know, chattering and shaking and all this stuff. So my mom said, um, go in the bathroom and wet the towels with cold water bring them out and bring them back here. So I did that fast and I don't even remember all of it. I just remember her, I remember handing her those towels and then she already had some on his body and then she turned around and she, we swapped. She was gonna give me the ones that were on him and I was giving her these colder ones to try to get the fever down. And I know that we don't do that this way nowadays. Again, this is like, you know, the 1980s or whatever. So she hands me these towels and they were actually like scalding hot. Like they burned my hands to touch them. That's how hot he was. And I, I remember looking at my mom and I, I paused and she said, go do it again. And she was so certain at that moment that that's what she wanted to have done that I almost forgot that I was scared and I just, I clicked into action. And if I could tell you, like, for me, that was that moment where I, I know that I was following my mom's lead on how to be courageous because to be honest with you, I was freaking scared out of my fucking mind. Like, what the hell? I mean, you don't even know. You're a kid, you have no medical knowledge, you know nothing about what's going on. But for me, that was one of those quintessential times that changed me as a person, changed my perspective, and changed my my strength on how I navigate situations. I mean, it didn't come out from, you know, graceful coaching of, you know, in a sports team, like you can do it. It was never like that. You know, I think the strongest and most courageous people, and there's always exceptions to the rule, the most strongest and the most courageous people are built. 
through trials and hardships. That's what I have come to learn. I mean, maybe it happens on the other end. I've never encountered that before. Most of my doings, I end up coaching with people who have come through hard knocks in some dimension or the other. They've either come up through a poverty trail and or abusive trail. You know, they've had nothing handed to them. They've had to work for everything. So that's been that's been my reality. I don't know what the other side is like, if there even is another side. I think everybody has. You just get stronger as you grow through your stuff. Um, I would say that people nowadays maybe are a little bit more cautious because parents have become more cautious. You know, as the world has become a little bit darker, you have to increase the level of of caution. You know, where can your children play? You want to make sure that you can see them at all times. Now you have uh, like higher elements of stranger danger. Like, so we have that whole nature versus nurture. The nurturing thing is definitely taking place. But for me, you know, the goal at, of the household really, we operated as a family unit, but it was mostly self-sufficiency, which started out as I was a baby, right? I was pushing my mom away. I was already, you know, standing and then walking and talking and, and doing all things at such a young age. You know, the goal was self-sufficiency, you know, and then up doing laundry and cooking meals and taking care of the household again by the time I was eight years old. And so for me, that has become like a normal way of life. So when I see hesitation, I, when I say I don't understand it, I don't mean it to come across as like, well, I just don't get it. What I honestly mean is I honestly, I never even think about it because it has been part of who I am for such a long time. Does that make sense? And so if I can make that point of connection with you, you know, how I operate now and you just continue to get stronger over the years because your challenges become more, right? And so then as you go on through, you know, for me, it was college and I lived, you know, in a bad neighborhood in college and, you know, right outside my bedroom window, they used to, you know, they had their guns and they would shoot them (laughs) at, you know, people. And that was where we lived. And, you know, I got mugged in that neighborhood. I was held at gunpoint in that neighborhood. Like, so for me, like being able to have courage, it's, it's, it was part of survival skill, but then it also became readily like trained into me as I became a nurse, right? Because operating when in a calm manner, when people are dying, or when the shit hits the fan, you know, there's a lot of crazy things happening in the emergency room and you have to make very clear decisions in a very rapid time fashion for not just one person, but for every person who is in that emergency room, all the patients in the waiting room, all of the, the staff that's in there, all of the families who are accompanying these people, uh, the first responders who are coming in and out on the law enforcement and EMS side, Uh, what's happening inside the hospital, you're actually uh, disaster preparedness for an entire region of Chicago. I mean, there's just like, there's so many variables that you have to take into consideration that, you know, courage and how you navigate one situation, you're like one little blurb. It's, It's like you're one grain of sand on the entire ocean. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I don't know that anybody is ever a hundred percent you're not born that way it's just how you're trained you know like the guy that shot um osama bin laden 
Like if you talk to him and he breaks it down, just like he looks over there and there he is. There's, there's Bin Laden standing there. And so I, I shot him in the face twice. And when you talk to him, he, he's not nonchalant about it. He just, he literally like marches it out. This is exactly what happened. But then if you watch interviews with him, he will say, and then I looked over and he says like, he was skinnier than I thought that he would be. Like he was able to make observations because he's been trained to be courageous. And so courage is actually acting in spite of fear. And that is either done, you know, reactively in survival mode, but in a, in a capacity like him, that's trained into him. He went in there, the expectation was to kill the enemy. You know what I'm saying? And so it has to do with your level of training. But he also has the softer side to him that I guess Bin Laden's son was in the room and he himself has children. And if I remember right, and he said, you know, I felt bad you know, here's this little boy who had nothing to do with this whole entire situation. Or he's an uncle or, you know, however it was. Like, he put this into perspective, like, how how this innocent kid of Bin Laden's, you know, his dad is, like, one of the worst guys in the whole entire world. I, he just saw me shoot his father in the face. Like, how weird it is. But when you're at that level of being trained to operate courageously in spite of fear... You know, you have that mental capacity to take in more of your environment and and then think those those higher level thoughts like this is really sad that his kid had to witness this. Do you know what I'm saying? But how does a person get up to that point? So what I'm saying is that, yeah, I think there's some people who are born with a fearless dimension to them. You know, there's all kinds of like extreme athletes and, you know, people who do you know, even like even the people who are like skydivers. I mean <laughs> I'm, I'm probably most of them get pushed out of the plane, but there's people who jump voluntarily. You know, I think you're wired a certain way, but after that, it's a training issue. So I say that to you because that, that should actually give you hope that if you're finding hesitation or you don't consider yourself to be fearless, or you find that you kind of like dilly dally or you let things pass and you're just, you're afraid, you know, to step your toe in the water for whatever fears you have, whether it's fear of physical harm, fear of judgment of others, fear of looking stupid, fear of loss of something, right? It always comes back to, you know, I think clarity of your goals. That's why I emphasize goals so incredibly much because once you have clarity of your goals, like automatically your priorities become uh, become properly aligned. Okay, my goal is to, what? I don't know, my goal is to, to earn $10,000 a month, okay? Well, what's my priorities? Well, you know what, I'm afraid to prospect, I'm afraid to cold call, I'm afraid to go B2B, you know, B2C. I'm afraid to put stuff on social media and build up, you know, my following. I'm afraid to, okay, you are afraid to, but again, once you understand and you have that investment in what your goal is, all right, and that's your decision and I'm, I'm committing myself to this. Now, guess what? Now you start using that language as though you have accomplished it already, all right, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts. This is the power of your mind. This is champion mind setting. When you are going after a goal, 
Okay, you have to word your goal, not like I wish that I could. You have to create and train your brain into a state of expectancy. This is what I expect to accomplish. I am a $10,000 a month income earner. I, I am whatever your goal is. I am a champion. I am a leader. I am fearless. You're making every single decision after that as though you're that person already. And when you start to to change your words, your words have so much power over your results. You have no idea. And I, I tend to be more focused on results because that's really the only way that most people, you, you can catalog or, or triage exactly if you are making progress. What are your results? You know, the process is definitely part of it, right? So it's not so much do you win the race, it's how do you progress and how do you transform along the way, but you're only able to gauge that because you have some element of, of results. This is part of our conversation this morning. It was like one of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. It was awesome, but it really got me to thinking about that, like, how can you transform yourself from being like this meek little person into what apparently is like a fearless warrior? And it is far easier. You know what? Here's here's a good example. It is far easier to be trained to be strong and fearless than it is for us to kind of like file off the the rough edges of, of a wild animal, like Beauty and the Beast or whatever he was. He was the beast, right? So it had to like the coaching between the two is, is completely different. And I will tell you this as a brand new nurse, I just remembered this, that the first time I actually was part of, we call it a code, but it's the first time, you know, cardiac arrest for one of the patients on our, on our unit when I worked in cardiology, like it was a teaching hospital. So the expectation is that, you know, as many students as possible participate so that you can get the skills. So you're supposed to do CPR, but you know, Nicole was like way in the back of the room because there was like, honest to God, there was like 60 people in the room and I was confident that I was a nursing student at the time. Everybody in there except me knew what they were doing. And so my preceptor looked over and she was like, all right, Miss Nicole, you can stand there today, but guess what? Next time you're going in there. And uh, we worked at a place where most of our patients actually needed heart transplants like they were that sick and not everybody gets a a, a, they not everybody gets a transplant not everyone's a candidate so unfortunately or fortunately depending on you know which which side you take there I was in there and they totally pushed me in there and I kind of looked and they were like push on the freaking chest and so I was like oh okay and so That was like death by fire, you know, in that culture, we are definitely watch one, do one, teach one. But that's how you get over it is actually by doing it and not doing it just a little bit. Like you go in there, like there's no such thing as partial CPR. Like you either do it or you don't. And I I laugh when I use those medical examples because they, they are life or death or they are so black and white. But I find that when you use them in the rest of your life, it eliminates the grays. 
and it, it, it helps you to be fully accountable for, you know what, I am doing this, I'm doing this with my whole ass because something depends on it. Whether this is your enterprise, you know, I'm here, I gotta breathe life into my enterprise every single day. And if this thing dies, it's 100% my fault. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's the perspective that I have. And so what I, what I guess after, you know, after further analysis, what I can say is that, you know, the fearlessness, which people see or detect in me comes about because it was trained in me. And that even applies to physicality. The first time that I ever did a figure competition, I will tell you, like I used to be very overweight. I had eating orders or disorders rather at starting at the age of eight years old. And so that whole like body dysmorphia thing is a very, very, very real thing. And it didn't matter how good I looked. I always looked at my flaws and I always, always felt fat, like no matter what. The only time I didn't ever feel fat was after my stepdad had died and I think I lost 60 pounds in a summer and I was I was like Skeletor. Like my mom almost did an intervention. I mean she had my family calling me. I to like my she was like begging me to eat and everybody was so worried and you know it was just one of those things but that was the only point where I honest to God and it was disgustingly skinny I, mean, I was like 120 something pounds and there's no way that a, a woman of with my frame should ever be that light and my hip bones were sticking out and everything but it was the first time that I could honestly say that I didn't feel fat that's the point and one of the reasons why I did a figure competition I mean I like the journey of it but I wanted to be able to for once in my life actually like face my biggest fear and that was not just be in a bathing suit because I had been in a bathing suit up to that point but actually force myself to be judged on my physique because really more times than not like I may have appeared confident but inside I was just like I hope that there's somebody who's way fatter than me at the beach so I can go sit next to them so that I'll at least feel more comfortable about myself honest to god and so when I did that first figure competition, and that's a whole different thing, like you're up there and you're up there with people who look even better than you. So I don't, I mean, it's, it's humbling on all fronts, but I had one of my suits uh, custom made for me. And uh, this little Russian lady, <laughs> Nina was her name, she made it. And so I would go to her house for these fittings and how she's able to do this, I don't know, because your body's always changing like every time you go there for a fitting. And uh, she used to say, you know, you girls, you not a fat, you just a bumpy, like our muscles are bumpy. And we'd be like, you're right, we're bumpy, Nina, we're not fat, we're bumpy. But the first time I ever went to go pick up my finished suit, she's like, okay, go, it's upstairs, it's under my bed, go get it. And so I went up there and I saw what looked to be like a piece of the swatch of the material that I had chosen, but I mean, it was small. I mean, it was tiny. So I'm looking, I'm looking, is it under the bed? Does she leave it in the bathroom? Like, where is she? Is it? And she goes, you know, yelling up there. She's like, you got it on? I said, where is it? She goes, it's on the bed. And I looked again at this little swatch piece of material and I held it up and I swear to you, it was like the size of a piece of Kleenex. I'm not even exaggerating, that was my suit. And I'm thinking to myself, with my fat girl brain in my size four body, like how is this thing even gonna fit on me because I'm fat? Like that's honestly what I 
thought. And I was like, this is it? She's like, yeah, go put it on. And I, even though she was like five feet tall, I was still afraid of her. She kind of reminded me of my grandpa just in the female version. So I did. And this freaking thing totally fit like exactly how it was supposed to. It was incredible. And I'm telling you, I actually felt good in it. And it was one of those like changing moments. And then I got up on that stage and the goal was to win. I didn't go up on the stage just it wasn't a bucket list thing. So again, this is, you know, me, how I approach everything. There's very few things that I do half-ass or just to say I've had the experience. I'm one of those go all the way in. When I travel, I go all the way in and I don't, I don't just kind of like dabble. I like to mingle with people or if I, you know, take on a new initiative, or if I learn something, I gotta learn everything about it. Like I'm all 100% in there all the time. It's hard for me to do halfsies, and it's hard for me to stand on the sidelines and not <laughs> and not participate, or not volunteer, or not take over the whole damn thing, because I think there's a better way of doing it. Like I'm just not built that way. <laughs> so, but I think it's been groomed, and those areas where I knew that I had my weakness, I forced myself to make them my strength. I mean, it was the same thing in nursing that I knew, okay, I wanted to be a flight nurse. And I knew in order to be of that caliber of nurse and to be able to stand, you know, in line with the people, my peers who I looked up to as, you know, the flight the flight crews already, that neuro was going to kill me because I hated it. I was afraid of it. Um, it. It was just so much information. I didn't quite understand it. And so what happened was, as I went and I went into neurosurgery and I thought I kind of was going to do okay because I knew all the cranial nerves and I knew, you know, what they did in the body. But I'm telling you, day one in, it was actually more than neurosurgery. It was uh, interventional neuroradiology. So we were doing like minimally invasive brain surgery before what they're doing today. So like what we did, this was in the year 2000, what we did in the year 2000 was actually the benchmark for what is known as stroke centers today. And so, um, I, what, wow, that's all I can say. Like the very first day got my ass handed to me. They were talking about shit in the brain. I never even heard of like, and I got this big stack of reading material from the doctor that I worked with. And the one on the top was, um, something that was about treatment of non-aneurysmal perimus and cephalic subarachnoid hemorrhage. That was the very first article that he gave me. The only word that I could kind of understand, obviously I knew what the word non was and I knew what aneurysm was and I knew the word like hemorrhage, but I didn't know anything else like what. <laughs> so, like sometimes you're forced into that situation, but then there again, I was in an environment where I was actually hired because they needed somebody strong in the position because there was no nursing supervisor above me. It was me running one end of the program and taking on all the responsibilities of the clinical side as well. And th there were times there where I had to have very, very, very direct conversation <laughs> with the physician that actually stopped everybody else in their tracks because everybody was so afraid of him. But it was something that had been groomed into me. So, I mean, if there's one takeaway from today is that courage, you know, it, you'll have it and you've had it at some point in your life. Right? So it's not that you back down from everything. I mean, if you 
somehow got your phone, you went online and ordered a phone and that's how you're listening to this or you went to a store and you bought it, you know, you get outside of the house somehow or you have communication with the outside world somehow. So you have an element of courage in you, you know, and that's, you know, worst case scenario there. But after that, like courage and becoming fearless, I believe that becomes your identity simply because you make a habit and a practice of it. Does that make sense? I mean, if other people are doing what it is that you want to do, you totally can do it. It's just that you have to remember that you have a beginning. You can't look at the people's highlight reel or the top performers and just be like, oh my God. Yeah, you know, you are worlds away from them. There's, you know, people who are just, you know, quirks of nature. They come in naturally gifted and they're able to perform at you know certain things at a high level but the true masters and the true champions and the true best of the best i guarantee you they were built they were built in the capacity to be super producers they were built in the capacity of becoming the best public speaker they were built in the capacity of becoming the best chef in the world right because they have to go through their own training they were built in the capacity of becoming the best soldier they were built in the capacity of being able to operate in any environment do you know what i'm saying they were built in the capacity of even being able to maintain their level of calm and clarity and communication when you know shit was hitting the fan that was something that was built so you can totally do that It's simply, are you willing to put yourself out there and do it? I know all of that to come to like the one final point, right? And you can start small. I mean, maybe you're not the rip the bandaid type off. I can tell you that rip the bandaid type off for me, you know, the difference, right? If you have a bandaid and like, if you don't want to hurt somebody or yourself, you're just trying to like peel it off of your arm a little bit at a time. And you're like pulling the arm hairs off and it just hurts enough where you're just like, Oh, I can't do it. And then your jerk friend comes along or your mom, they're like, Oh, and they pull that thing off and you're like, ow, but it only hurts for a quick second. That's the difference. And that's actually the glory of when you're the rip the band-aid type of like it hurts for a moment, but then you get over it. <laughs> you're like, you're up and you're going and you're, and you're moving forward. And, and, and it's like you have free freedom and you have no option except to, you know, either pedal if you like that analogy or flap your wings or make it work or do something. And then, you know, sometimes you crash and burn and then you just get back right up and you go and you do it again because that's, that's how you decide it to be. That's the side of the person, right? And I feel like perhaps like the more, the more you grew up in survival mode, maybe that is going to be the advantage of people who didn't, but by the same token, everybody has their trials. And so this could be, I mean, it could be anything. So nobody's is better or worse or more advantageous or another. I mean, it all comes down to you know, you being aware of your weaknesses and how much you're willing to commit to make the weaknesses your strengths. Do you see what I'm saying? So for me, my goal is always to be the best. I don't know where that came from, that I think I was born with that. But the best practitioner, not just the best flight nurse, but the best practitioner, irregardless of of licensure, that was the goal on that front. Okay, the goal with figure competition was actually to be the overall winner, which I still haven't done. 
to crack a lacking on that, maybe. Okay, but what I'm saying is, it it be, it starts to become an identity that when you want to become the best, you have to you have to be aware of what the weaknesses are. You always start out in the areas of your strengths, and you continue moving in the areas of your strengths. But if you want to have that whole like that well-rounded, you know, like I'm the best of the best. Like Michael Jordan is like, I believe the best basketball player in the history of the sport. Well, he's the best of the best. He's known a lot of times for his offensive play, but you know, homeboy could play defense too because he had to be able to steal or rebound in order to get the ball and then take it down to the other end of the court and you know, fly like he does <laughs> or did. Right? So he knew his weaknesses and he had to actually bolster them up. And the cool thing about Michael is that he knew his mental weaknesses. So while he was training in the gym and training on the court and, and doing the physical aspect of it, he actually had a mindset coach. He hired Tim Grover to be his coach in many capacities. And Tim now is coming. I mean, he Tim I, he just got onto social media space not long ago. But, I mean, but he goes out, he goes and he does seminars, and he does like what's called, he, his um, tagline is relentless. So he does the relentless mindset and he, he coaches Kobe and, you know, very, very high level athletes on how to be results oriented. It's definitely a different, it's a different approach. It's not as soft as reward the process, although they talk about process. They, they get you committed to the goal because there's a lot of people who get kind of wishy-washy as they're going, you know, down the line and they allow for a different number of distractions to, to affect them. And we can talk about that a different day, but there's, you know, there's a difference in mode of operation that you are so like obsessively focused on your end goal that you don't allow for some of the softness to come through because it makes you weak and it keeps you from achieving the goal. And that's you know how they roll in professional sports, right? They keep the husbands away from the wives so that you know they're not out, you know, having sex or whatever the night before a big game and then they come in exhausted or they come in with their heads in the clouds or thinking about their wives this that, and the other. They isolate in order to increase that level of focus. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you you know yourself and you have to know what it is that you're out there to get, and that's why clarity of your goals is so incredibly important. That if you're finding like, oh, you know what, have massive you know, success over here, but I'm lacking over in this area, you know, what's the issue here? Are you allowing for exceptions? Are you allowing for distractions? You know, are you not making any progress at all? Are you over diversified, right? So when you're setting your goals, like know what they are and then take a step back You've got to be able to somehow gauge your process or, or process, um, your progress. What kind of results are you getting? Or are you just spinning your wheels and spinning your wheels and not making any progress at all? Either on the inside, you know, your internal work or on the outside, what you're able to produce. How's that? Talking about being fearless. The process of goal setting and goal attainment, it's, it's the same. It's how do I apply this to my life? And you know what? I'm freaking afraid of everything. <laughs> this person over here, I can never be as good as them because they seem like they're fearless. That's not how it started. You're just seeing them now in this certain light, but you didn't see you know, what, what got them to that particular place. Every person is born as a baby, right? This will help you. This, this, this will help you that every, no fear 
is present except the fear of loud noises when you're born. And I, I think that may be even more of like a startle reflex than anything else. I don't even know that that's a natural born fear. Fear is learned. Right? How do you know? Well, because if you've ever seen a toddler running through the house, <laughs> even though you tell them no, right? And think about like the body of a toddler. A toddler is like a, a dart in a way. They've got like a big head in proportion to the rest of their body. So they become very top heavy. And as they're running, 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 they lean forward and that whole momentum, like the inertia is carrying them forward. Well, up to a certain age, toddlers do not have depth perception, right? So they're running and they're laughing and they're looking behind them and they're not tracking with the fact that they're getting close to the corner of the door or the wall and they just run right into it. And you're like, what the hell? You know, first you should be running in the house, but second of all, like, how could you not see the wall? You know what I'm saying? Like, because they don't have that depth perception yet. Like they don't have that fear. And even though like they do this sometimes a couple of different times, like until they reach that developmental milestone, they're not able to make the connection. But then it's after like, you know, they're at that developmental milestone. Now you can start to teach them about, you know, running, <laughs> looking forward and, and different things. But then once they do start to hurt themselves, they're going to remember it. Now they have that mental tracking ability, but that's learned behavior. That's conditioning. You see what I'm saying? So when you start to like really look at, at things from the beginning is how did I become so fearful or what, you know, what is the bait, the base root of my fear? You know, you can spend all day and you can go on any Google engine search or whatever and find out the results of that. But at the end of the day, when you understand the fact that you weren't born with that fear, that was something that you learned that can be unlearned and replaced by something that serves you better. That's the encouragement. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can. It just is, it depends on the readiness, the teachability, and the coachability of the learner. That's it. Which is so awesome, right? It doesn't matter your financial situation. It doesn't matter your social situation. Like fear and and lack thereof. Like it knows none of that. It just it simply is. It's part of our humanity. That's all that it is. How's that? It's kind of cool when you think about it, right? Like anything that was keeping you held back before, like it's actually just a figment of your own imagination. And for those of us who tend to either spend a lot of time alone or do a lot of mental processing, like it's really easy for you to get stuck in your brain sometimes. You have to be able to find a way to pull yourself out of there because you, you'll be going for days right inside of your head and like like it's exhaust like it, there's like smoke coming out of your ears sometimes i get it <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you have to you know whatever you have to do like i gave you the triage process for you know categorizing an emergency you know perhaps you know maybe the one over on this end is i, I wasn't born with fear <laughs> you know what i'm saying so that might be something for us to talk about on a different day. In fact, there's a good topic. Uh, there is no fear in love. We can talk about that a different day too. But that's all I got for you today. Okay? How to be fearless. I am fearless. That's your affirmation. Okay? So the two times a day, we'll get you into the affirmation mindset training here, how to apply this now, is 
the two times of day when your subconscious mind is the most sensitive is first thing when you wake up in the morning and last thing before you go to bed at night. So when you're wording your goals and when you're wording them this way in the I am form, many times those are also known as affirmations. Okay, so you word it as though you've already achieved this thing. So I am fearless. Okay, you say that first thing in the morning, last thing before you go to bed at night. And the subconscious is so cool because it honestly does not know the difference between fantasy and reality. So whatever you tell it, it's going to totally believe. And it doesn't understand jokes or sarcasm. So don't joke around or be sarcastic with it. Just say what it is that you want. I'm fearless. Okay, you don't even have to believe it. You just have to start saying it. And that subconscious mind is just going to start like, boop, boop, boop. It starts, you know, programming it up into your conscious mind. And what you're going to find is that you're going to start to take new steps of courage without you having to try to do it. You're not like pulling yourself. <laughs> oh, if I could just get in there. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now what do you do? Now you sign up for a, a class or you try a new sport or you volunteer for a public speaking engagement or whatever. You call that girl and you ask her out like a gentleman. You don't text her like a whip. 